Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Father Paul Koska, Father James Claver, Brother Thomas Gonzaga, and Brother Peter Xavier, as they share about the vow of evangelical obedience. To learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I'm Edward Lugo, the project manager for the Servants of Christ Jesus. And today on the podcast, we have Father Paul, Father James, Brother Thomas, and Brother Peter again. Hello, everyone. Hello, Ed. Hello, Edward. So would one of you, whoever is the most willing, share what we are talking about today? We're talking about obedience. Three for three. Nice. He's done it every time. He's the most obedient. Hey, <laughs> winning. Zinger. So today we are talking about the Evangelical Council of Obedience, and this is the third of the Evangelical Councils that we are uh, talking about. Father Paul, you, I believe, explained the other Evangelical Councils, so can you explain this Evangelical Council of Obedience? So the Evangelical Council of Obedience is really imitating Jesus who says that he came not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. So you are ultimately taking a vow of obedience to the Lord first and foremost, and then mediated in a religious community as a superior uh, who you obey in terms of you obey like the general laws or rules of the community, but also you obey in terms of specific assignments. So that's, it's ultimately about not doing your own will and doing the will of the Heavenly Father mediated through the person of the superior. So is there, you know, you said the will of the Heavenly Father, the the will of the, what is it? The will of the one who sent you? Is that what it is? That's what Jesus says? Yeah, Jesus says, I come not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Okay, so... Is there a scriptural basis for the vow of obedience? Like, if you could explain kind of how this comes about in the life of the church. There's a ton of scriptural references to obedience throughout the entire scripture. Even in the beginning of Genesis, we see Noah obeying God to build the ark. And as Father John has said, this is a matter of life and death for Noah. So he either builds the ark and saves himself and his family and the animals, or he doesn't. And he chooses to obey That's Genesis 6. In Genesis 12, Abram um, obeys the Lord to leave his homeland, and because of that, he is blessed. All the nations will be blessed. So we see this model of obedience and faith in Abram. In Deuteronomy 11, Moses sets before the people a blessing and curse. If they follow the Lord and his commandments, they will be blessed. And if they disobey the Lord, there will be curses And then most famously, I think, is 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, where Samuel the prophet says, uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And what we learn there is that any gift that we could give to God um, is not worth nearly as much as our own will, our own desire to follow the Lord's will. So that's kind of like an Old Testament uh, preview. And then Jesus, Jesus is obedient in Luke 2:51 to Mary and Joseph we learn uh, Father Paul already referenced that Jesus says that he didn't come to do his own will but the will of the one who sent him that's in John 6 in John 4 Jesus has something pretty striking he says my food is to do the will of him who sent me 
Um, so Jesus is connecting food and sustenance with the Father's will. In John 15, Jesus connects love and obedience. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says in John 14 that anyone who hears my word and obeys it, the Father will come and dwell within him. And then, of course, in Philippians chapter 2, St. Paul says that Jesus was obedient and obedient even unto death, death on a cross. And so since the garden in Genesis, Adam and Eve disobey God. And so now we are called through repentance to begin obeying God, first in his commandments, um, but then also lived out through a vow of obedience. There's every scriptural reference to obedience. I just want to say I got all those from a list Father John had already made, so it was super easy for me. <laughs> so I, I want to get to the heart of, of, of this. As Americans, we almost kind of have this ingrained disobedience where we see disobedience as a virtue in a certain sense. You know, like the King of England said that we're not going to do that. For you guys, what would you tell a stranger, like why obedience is so crucial to you living out your religious life? Because I assume religious life doesn't work if there's disobedience. So I would say this, that like to understand what faith is, is to say there's a, a, a huge component of faith that is about obedience. All the examples that Brother Thomas gave, especially those in the Old Testament, the relationship with God begins with this act of obedience. And to think about that the nature of faith is I am following what someone else is telling me, whether that's God or whether that's another human being, and in that I'm encountering God. That is to say that you receive faith because someone else handed this on to you, and you're following what it is that they have instructed you in. The, the way that we encounter God is in this sense of following what someone else has said. Why do we have the Mass the way that it is? Well, this has been handed down through the centuries to say that you know, the sacraments come to us, the presence of Jesus comes to us in this mediated form because we're obeying what has been handed down. So I would say that the nature of faith, there is a sense of obedience that is there. And I think the same with our church, the same with religious life, is that God has set this up, that he creates this church, gives it to us, and then leaves. And he leaves it in the hands of men and principally hands it on to Peter and to the apostles, and that gets handed on through the centuries, to say that the nature of our faith and the nature of this divine institution that is human and divine is that this is set up uh, to be led by fallible men. And there's something about this that at the nature of it, we have to follow what it is that men have said before. Um, we have to be obedient, even if they are sinful, there's something about the, the miraculous power of obedience that um, it perseveres. Yeah, and I would say along with what Father James was just talking about, there's this delusion in our own time and probably has existed for a long time, but is particularly acute in our own time of that if you do whatever you want, if you do your own will, if you live your own life by just following your own desires and everything that that's what's going to make you happy. And so when people hear obedience, it seems like opposed to happiness. If like doing whatever I want to do is going to make me happy, then why would I, and then why would the church ask a group of people 
to be obedient in everything if if happiness comes through just doing whatever I want to do. But the reality is like doing whatever you want to do doesn't equal happiness. And you look at sometimes like uh, young adults, for example, who were like hop from job to job and they like moved to all these different places and they're like wanderers and they do whatever they want to do, but they never seem to actually like put down roots and they don't really ever learn necessarily to obey somebody else. And they're not not actually happy, and and so the religious obedience proposes that you're actually going to find happiness not by doing your own will, but by doing the will of the Lord mediated through another person. You know, so for example, uh, a number of years ago, when we were f- first moved to Denver, like this summer, uh, when we had were just moving to Denver. I was going to be teaching. I was thinking to myself like, Oh, I'll teach for one year and then I'll go to seminary and get ordained and blah, blah, blah. And that was my magical plan right ahead <laughs> of my head was I'll teach for one year and then I'll go straight to seminary. Father John wanted me to do three years. Father John was the superior. So Father John won. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about the whole experience was uh, two things. First was, the first year of teaching, like basically it was not that great. I wasn't great at it and it wasn't like all that pleasant of an experience as, you know, people have experienced in teaching. And I really learned to teach until like the second and third year. And I didn't really enjoy it as much as I did until I had the experience of the second and third year. So if I had walked away from teaching after one year, I would have just like despised teaching probably. But because Father John had me do three years of it. I really learned to love it and actually probably became better at it for that reason. The other kind of mysterious thing was that in, so in 2006 is when that happened. I ended up getting ordained in 2013, but the way all the timing worked out, like Archbishop Aquila, who was the one who chose to ordain us, and then the one that actually ordained us, I didn't come to Denver until you know, the beginning of my, my time in seminary. And so all of the things kind of worked out in such a way that that timing was the perfect timing. Like that timing of being there three years, being in seminary when I, when I was in seminary and had I done my own plan, it wouldn't have necessarily worked out in the perfect timing of the Lord. And so that's just kind of one, I guess, instance in my own life of being in religious life where obedience was clearly like better in the way that everything worked out. Not just like it was better. It's better in general, whether it worked out as nicely as it did. But in addition, like in my own life, like clearly the obedience worked out better than the plan that I had in my head. Well, I like the way you asked the question because you said, so if somebody walks up to you, right. And asks why obedience, you know, that's going to be, those are my favorite moments. You know, like I love, when a stranger asks something that's really weird about my life. And in order to answer somebody that is either a non-believer and has asked me that's obedience or is a Christian, whoever it is, the only reason I'm, I am doing obedience is because Jesus did obedience. And so if we look back to, we've already quoted twice, uh, John 6 verse 38, he talks about that he does the will of the Father, right? And he says, so I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the question of why do I do obedience? Like why do I feel called to obedience? 
the real question is why does Jesus feel called to obedience? Because why I'm I'm trying to be obedient is just to follow Jesus and the way he lived his life. And what Jesus says after that sentence of not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, he tells us what the Father's will is. So this is the reason he's being obedient. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And so not the only reason, but I mean, according to Jesus and according to scripture, why do we do the will of the Father? Why are we obedient? It's because the Father has given us a generous and abundant gift that we didn't choose, and then he wants to give it again through the means of redeeming us through his Son. And in order for us to attain that gift and keep that gift, we need to be obedient to him and what he's asking us to do. And so it's it's like the, fam- I think it's St. C.S. Lewis, not he's not a saint, but C.S. Lewis, who talks about, right, um, like when we go to Judgment Day of God's either going to say, you know, thy will be done or we'll say to him, thy will be done. It's like, it's kind of that principle that basically like the father has given us this generous, abundant gift and he's not taking it from us. It's up to us if we want to hold on to it and keep it. And through obedience, that's the means to hold on to what he's giving us. And if we're not going to be obedient, then we're dropping everything that all of the abundance that he's pouring out upon us. So I think obedience isn't really as hard for people to understand as as I think we imagine, you know, most families we recognize like there has to be some level of obedience in order for my family to work. If, if my kids are like, no, I'm not going to get dressed and go to school. They're not going to thrive. They're not going to, to be fruitful. And, and so I think that we kind of understand that, but in terms of adults living out obedience, it's different. And so I guess what's misunderstood about adult men in religious community living out the vow of obedience. What have you found that people have misunderstood in the past about your vow of obedience? I I would say there's probably two extremes that sometimes people have. One is that some people presume that there's no consultation whatsoever. Um, And so now with some communities, there might be no consultation whatsoever, but like in, in the servants, there's definitely consultation about what do you think about this? Or, you know, even just this past weekend, you know, we were trying to plan out what we're going to do over our community weekend. And there was like consultation about building the schedule for that. So it wasn't just like commanded from above, but there was a consultation and then a decision that was made. Um, And so, so there is, I think sometimes misunderstanding there's just no consultation whatsoever. On the other hand, um, it's often invisible though, like the obedience that we do have. So it's not like Father John or another religious superior necessarily be like giving commands or giving direction publicly that people just often see, you know, but it's usually we are told what we're uh, supposed to do and then we go about doing it. And so you don't necessarily, from the outside, you don't always see, just like in your family, like I don't see the discussion that you have with your kids, you know, about what they're supposed to do that, do that day. I just like see your family and, and, you know, other circumstances. And so, so that's part of the dynamic with obedience is that a lot of it is hidden in the sense that it's just things that you talk about internally, you come to a decision or even just kind of practically like with an assignment, like a, a lay person would just see a servant, you know, at their assignment, but they wouldn't necessarily see like the behind the scenes discussion about what's best for this person, how long for this is it best for this particular brother to be at an assignment. 
So that's part of the thing too, is that it's both, uh, there's consultation that people don't often realize. Uh, and then also that there is a hiddenness to it. That's just, just like there's in families. I think the other part sometimes that people will say is like that it's demeaning or it's like against our freedom. And, and I guess like the nature of our lives is we think we know what we want. Like, I think I know what will make me happy. But if I look at my life and the way that my life has gone, it is nothing of that sense. Um, it's the total opposites. In fact, when I have done something that I didn't necessarily desire to do at the beginning, but it turned out to be incredibly fruitful and incredibly life-giving, that I realized, oh, there's something about the nature of my life that I think I know what I want, but I don't. When I just end up getting what I want, I end up being very selfish a lot of times. I think the thing people don't realize is that obedience is incredibly freeing. Of It guards me against just being selfish. It guards me of just being about myself and and fulfilling myself. That that really is my tendency. And what obedience does is it frees me to be like, you know what, I, I my life is not about me. And I have a really hard time remembering that um, because I still get frustrated at times when something doesn't go my way. Um, but it's good. It's good for me to have that denial, and it's good for me to follow Jesus' words that when he says, you know, he who wants to follow me, he has to lose his life. That's what I would say obedience is is really doing, is saying, can I lose my life for the Lord such that I'm not choosing what it is I desire to do, but in following what it, when in losing my life, um, I'm leaving everything there, and I'm allowing him to bring me to things and show me things that I would never choose on my own. There's all sorts of examples I could give. Uh, teaching, I don't think I ever would have chosen on my own um, had it not been something that the servants would kind of ask me to do. And it's been incredibly fulfilling and rewarding. That would be one example that I could say of many. I think something that's misunderstood about religious obedience is the reason why we're following a superior. Uh, it's not because the superior is infallible but because God has put him in that position. Um, and so he is a representative of God for us. And so there's a great gift in being obedient because I have peace, I have confidence that what my superior asks of me is God's will. Um, and that is the greatest gift. I don't have to worry about, am I making the right decision? Am I spending my time the right way? St. Therese says, perfection consists in doing his will and doing God's will. And since God has appointed a superior to be his representative, there's a great freedom, as Father James said, um, in just living into the will of God, which is now revealed to me. So, of course, it's difficult at times, but I think it's more of a gift than people realize. So I want to ask about that difficulty, because I can see like the the value and the benefit that you guys are talking about in terms of like obedience is essentially dying to yourself and learning how to learning that you're not God, that you're not in charge. And that's really hard. And I can only imagine, I mean, it's hard enough for like people to do that with their boss. You know, it's hard enough for kids to do that with their parents. I can only imagine that's also like really hard when you have this vow to be obedient to somebody else. So what are some of just the personal challenges and maybe even some examples of times when like you really 
had to be obedient when it was extraordinarily hard for you to do so. I didn't have this story prepared, so we'll see how this comes out. <laughs> and we might have to take this out. Um, I remember just moving to community and I was with one of the brothers that was in the community at the time. And we, in the mornings, we would go play basketball together. We'd go play one-on-one down at the local park um, as our like workout. And so we go down there to play one-on-one and I, we had about maybe an hour and a half, hour and a half till we had to be back. Um, I don't remember what we had to be back for, probably Bible class with Father John or something. And while we were at the park, we met this, he, he was like a worker for Parks and Recreation of Denver. And we just started talking to him and he starts just sharing his whole testimony with us, his whole life story with us about like his brokenness, like addiction. And we ended up like praying with him and ministering to him. And it was really beautiful, super consoling, super fruitful. And we're walking back and I'm probably 20 minutes late. And I remember getting home and um, seeing the superior. And um, the question was just, why didn't you keep the schedule? And in that moment, I realized through a vow of obedience, that takes precedence over everything. And it's not my judgment of what I think is necessarily the right thing to do in the moment. And so because I was asked to keep a time, that was God's will for my life. And so if I'm not always choosing that at all times, not seeking that at all times, I'm really doing what I desire to do. And even in my desire to minister to this man and to preach to this man, is that God's will for my life in that moment? And it's, it's even like a question we, we, we would think always, of course it is. Of course, it has to be, right? Like you're ministering to him. You're bringing him the gospel, right? But God had already asked me to do something else before that. And I said, no, God, I'm not going to do that because I want to do this so I can bring you glory. But that's not what God was asking me to do to glorify him. And so I just realized that vow of obedience can be really confusing sometimes. And that it's, it really is a death to self. Even when we think we're glorifying God, it's simply just doing what has God asked me to do? Not what do I think would glorify God, but what has God asked me to do? How has he told me this would glorify him? And am I doing that or am I contradicting that? That was a really like hard lesson for me to learn, really confusing at first, but I think it was yeah, very fruitful in the first year. I would say too that, you know, Father James has had the opportunity to be like an acting superior when Father John is out of town and then I've had times, you know, for not as long of a time to be in that role. And so there is kind of as well, you know, a dynamic of when you do have responsibility for other people in a religious community. There's also being in the place of being obeyed. Um, And that's not always easy either, right? To try to weigh all of the different goods that are out there, the different people's schedules in the community, the different people's gifts in the community. And so there is, I think, a, a burden, if you will, of like being a superior as well that some guys you know, that have not yet experienced, but at some point probably will, you know, and being in a role of authority. And so that's, I think, something to be aware of for, you know, people listening as well of like there, there is a weight to it as well when you're, you're trying to discern what is best. And it's not just like being a boss, like you were saying at a job, because this isn't just like the person works for you during the day and then they go home like you're making decisions about like somebody's whole life and and so there's a profound burden to it and maybe father james can speak to what that's been like i think that might be helpful too for people especially for parents uh, because they're in a role of trying to take care of of people and being obeyed as well
Yeah, I think it's it's a challenge to um I think it's an act of trust of I'm going to make the decisions that I need to make in a given time and I don't know how it's going to turn out for this person. In my heart of hearts I'm desiring I think what is best for him, what is best for the community, but it it's it's a challenging thing of I have no idea how this is going to turn out and there's a lot riding on some of these decisions, you know, whether it's just asking someone to continue to, to sacrifice. And, you know, sometimes there are days where you're like, I'm feel like I'm just doing my duty and not receiving anything in return. Like there's not a joy, there's not a happiness in this. And sometimes it's a matter of like, all right, keep going. The joy and the happiness that you seek will come. And that's, that's a really hard thing to kind of like encourage someone in that respect. But that's sometimes what you have to trust is, God, you're going to take care of this. God, you're going to resolve this. I think another challenge with obedience is that, and I would relate the same to marriage in that um, my guess is most married couples, you see eye to eye on most things, the, the important things in life of like, this is the way we want to raise our kids. This is the faith life that we desire. Um, this is what we want to dedicate our lives to in terms of our careers. And we want to support each other in that. They're, you're on board with like 95% of the things. Well, what do married couples end up fighting about? It's the small stuff. Um, and I realize that with obedience and religious life of 95% of the time, we see eye to eye on the most essential things. We want to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. We want to love the Lord. We want to praise the Lord. And we want to serve him in preaching, teaching, and spiritual direction. What is it that sometimes that I get asked to do that I get like interiorly uh, grumpy about? Father James, can you wash the dishes right now? Because we need you to do this so that someone else is going to be affected in this other way. So like, can you do this right now and stop what you're doing? Interiorly, there's sometimes on these small things that I get asked to do, there's like this revolt of like, no, I don't want to do that. I've got these other things that I got to take care of first. And it's a matter of, in that moment, okay, this is not that big of a deal. I can die to myself and I can do this. Um, but I think it's a challenge of constantly realizing I'm a part of a much larger whole uh, than just me. And obedience, I think, challenges me to think and consider that my actions constantly have bearing on five other men that I live with. And for the sake of the whole, I need to just be obedient in that moment and not necessarily be like, well, can I pull my superior aside and talk to him and tell him the five reasons why I think that's a bad idea? No, I can just suck it up and, and go with it. Um, even if that means I have to rearrange some things. And I think that's the, the day-to-day challenge of obedience. And I think, you know, this is another question I know, but I would guess that every man in this room you say, which of the three vows is most challenging, poverty, chastity, or obedience? I think everybody's going to say obedience because it's uh, there's a, an always a new sacrifice. There's something new that's being asked. It's ever-changing, ever-evolving, and that's just the nature of it. We like what we want, and we like what we like, and we want to do our own thing, and uh, obedience challenges out of that. The story from the Gospels that's just coming up right now, and I think it goes back to something that Father James was saying earlier of well one of the words that are just coming to my mind is we can't see the whole story that we really don't know what we're being asked is going to amount to 
and it may seem small and insignificant, like washing the dishes right now, but they're like, I think it was Brother Thomas I was talking about this this past week of what if when I'm mowing the grass, you know, the Lord has like a, like an intense grace that he wants to give me while I'm mowing the grass. And if I don't mow the grass, then I'm going to miss out on that, you know, but I have X, Y, and Z to do like Father James was saying. And I think we can just see this in Peter's heart when after he proclaims Jesus the Christ, Jesus tells him, I'm going to go down the cross and no, 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 far be it from you, Lord. No, 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 you can't do that. No way. No way. Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Peter, you can't see the whole picture. You don't get it. You don't know what I'm saying right now. You don't know what I'm asking right now. And I think it's just a perfect example of something that may make completely like no sense in our minds. It might be part of like a huge plan in the Lord's perspective, no matter how much it doesn't make sense. Even like exactly with like my story, right? Of like, I wanted to do ministry, right? But I had been asked to do something. And so what the Lord is asking me to do, that's what makes sense. No matter what my judgment is saying, that's always what's going to be the truth. So I need to cling to that above everything. Another challenge with obedience is moving around from assignment to assignment. So, for example, I was teaching at Bishop Mashworth High School as a brother, 2009 to 2012. Father John even kind of gave me a warning, like, ahead of time, of like, this is probably going to be your last year, and then you're going to move on to seminary. And I like, kind of knew that um, several months into the, the academic year. But it was a real challenge when finally he's like, yeah, so it's, uh, it's April, you know, you're going to have to apply to seminary and you're going to have to say goodbye to people and match buff. And it was really challenging of, man, I'm finally getting good at teaching. And here I am going to have to change in a totally new direction. And so, um, you know, that shift of assignments of just trusting that God's going to provide the grace in, in studying in seminary and that, you know, going to something that uh, is not near as rewarding as teaching with somehow the Lord's going to be with me in the midst of that. Um, that's a huge challenge that uh, we have to trust that the Lord will work and give us the grace and be with us. Um, sometimes in the midst of things that the very beginning don't seem that consoling or that helpful or that fruitful. So speaking of fruits, and you guys have talked a little bit about this, but what would you say is the greatest fruit of, of living your vow of obedience? So one of the fruits of obedience that I would propose is that there is a supernatural fruitfulness when you obey. So one one example of that, Samaritan's Xavier was not selected to go on the mission to go to Portugal and then on to the Far East. Initially, two other there was two other people who were chosen. One of those guys got sick, and then Samaritan's Xavier was chosen by St. Ignatius basically at the last minute, ends up going to Portugal, and then ends up going to the Far East and never returning, dying while he's over in Asia. And he becomes a saint, becomes a patron of missions in the church alongside St. Therese of Lisieux. And all of that was not based on his plan. It wasn't even St. Ignatius's plan, but it was the circumstances that you know, created a situation where he was asked to go. And then God took that obedience and made it supernaturally fruitful in a way that somebody that just wanted to go do mission work might not have been um, because there wasn't that same level of being obedient to the will of the Lord. And so I would say in addition to like the fruit of just, it's good for me to be obedient 
there's a supernatural fruitfulness in what we do on behalf of the Lord when we're obeying and not just doing our own will. Yeah, I like what Father Paul said about a supernatural fruitfulness. When you obey God's will, it gives him space for his spirit to just work in you that in ways that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. God provides for you in ways that you don't expect. Uh, the phrase of our community, I think Father John says, is obedience works miracles. And whether that's as small as getting to a destination on time, um, or whether that's as big as like God providing food and a place to stay every single night on my poverty pilgrimage, or whether that's God blessing me in my studies when I obeyed his commandment not to study on the Sabbath. Um, he just he just blesses obedience. It's, it's very simple. And so there's a supernatural, I'm agreeing with grace. And so God is able to work with that obedience. And the only other thing that I would say, uh, St. Ignatius has this fantastic letter on obedience that we as servants of Christ Jesus seek to follow and implement. St. Ignatius says that he wants obedience, quote, more than any other virtue that the society would signalize themselves by, that this resignation of our wills and abnegation of our own understanding uh, should be what is characteristic of the society of Jesus. And so we try and live this. And in that letter, uh, St. Ignatius quotes St. Gregory, who says, obedience, quote, plants all the virtues in the mind and preserves them once they are planted. So it plants all the virtues in the mind and it preserves them once they are planted. And I think one of the greatest fruits of obedience is that it requires a lot of other virtues that I don't have. (laughs) And so it helps to plant those because if I don't have humility, how can I ever receive someone else's command for me to be obedient uh, if I'm going to be resisting the whole time? And so I think it brings a lot. That's just one example, but it brings a lot of other virtues with it. And I don't think the supernatural effects just stop at us. Like the Lord's going to bless me because like I'm obedient. St. Paul talks about in the letter to the Romans, he says, talking about Jesus, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So again, going back to the kind of theme of we don't know um, the full effect that our choices are going to have, the, the, what we're being asked to do, our faithfulness to what's being asked of us, what it's going to like actually implement, not just in our lives, but those around us, because Jesus is obedience to something that didn't make sense to us. It brought the entire human race salvation. So me saying yes to doing dishes when I don't want to do dishes or mowing the lawn when I want to mow the lawn or stopping and doing something when I don't want to like stop and do something else right like that could actually bring salvation to somebody else's life because why can't the lord do that we have no idea what he's going to work through that one moment of obedience we have no idea what his intention is so it's only our job just to say yes i think obedience also encourages you to focus on what's under your control and ignore what's not under your control i think this is a huge problem for americans we can waste and, and i include myself in this i can waste a lot of time criticizing and focusing on things that are totally outside of my control. And as a result, it leads to my own unhappiness that, it, that in that attitude, I can criticize everything else and blame my problems on what someone else has done. And I think what obedience challenges is to say, what's under your control? What are you being asked to do? And can you just be faithful to that? And I think the more that we just focus on what's in front of us and what's being asked to do, 
those who are religious or, or not, I mean, you know, any Christian, if we just focus on what's, what is ours, what is under our control, there's just a lot of fruitfulness and a lot of happiness and a lot of peace that can just come to um, focusing on simply the task that's there. So I'm glad you said that because it leads to my last question, maybe last question. For lay people, how would you encourage them in obedience? Like, because this isn't just a, a, an issue for religious, for, for lay people, for Catholics specifically, um, we're all called to live out obedience. And if you're a lay Catholic, how are you called to live out obedience? Aside from the obvious stuff, like going to mass on Sundays, et cetera, et cetera. How would you encourage lay people in obedience? One of the things that St. Ignatius talks about in the letter that Brother Thomas quoted earlier is the idea of obedience both of mind and of will or mind and of heart. And I think that's something pertinent for lay Catholics to be mindful of is, you know, being obedient, doing what you're asked to do, but not conforming your mind and heart to what the Lord is asking or what the person in authority is asking isn't the obedience that St. Ignatius is is proposing to us. St. Ignatius is proposing to us and I think to all Christians to consider being obedient both in mind and in heart. And so it's not just I disagree with this person, but I'm going to do what they tell me to do because I don't have any other option. But it's really how can I seek to understand what the Pope is asking of me or what my bishop is asking of me or even, you know, with like your local pastor, how can you seek to understand their point of view and then uh, be obedient? And specifically, you know, with reference to the teaching of the church and, and challenging teachings, it's something to be mindful of and reflective about. And, you know, the catechism of the Catholic Church is in the room where we're, we are right now. And so even just striving to understand my faith more and conform my own mind and heart is an important aspect of obedience for religious and lay people. But I think in a particular way applies to their life. Um, and there's different things at different seasons of life that might be challenging about what the church is asking of us, what the teaching of the church is. And so it really requires in whatever season I'm in to strive uh, to obey, obey what the Lord is asking. I remember in, in uh, hearing about this in the life of Ignatius of Loyola towards the end of his life, he was superior of the Jesuits in Rome and there was a particular cardinal that was not that, that not that big of a fan of the Jesuits. Um, and uh, all of a sudden it was announced to Ignatius and the rest of the community that that particular cardinal just got elected Pope. And there's this natural fear that enters in of like, what is that going to mean for us? Um, if he doesn't like us, he could do a lot to make our lives very difficult. So what Ignatius does is like his, his face turns white he excuses himself from dinner. He goes to the chapel and he prays. And he comes back maybe 15 minutes later. And and he's got a sense of calmness. And they notice, the, the other Jesuits notice that every time that he spoke of this new Holy Father, um, he praised him and praised his virtues. He never criticized him. He never spoke negatively about him. 
but there was kind of this this trust and this surrender to God of like, okay, God, this is how it is, and I'm going to accept it and I'm gonna embrace it. And also, like, this is the man that you have chosen to be Pope. Even though he may not like us and I might disagree with things, I'm not going to voice that because it's really not going to accomplish anything. And what happened is, in time, that Holy Father chose and, and uh, began to really appreciate and see the value. He had a change of heart about the Jesuits. And I think that comes partially because Ignatius is not so eager to criticize and to complain. And I think that's a real challenge for us, um, even of leaders, not just in our church, but in our world. We can be very quick to criticize as Americans. We almost consider it like this constitutional right of like, I have the right to criticize. And, you know, there are even leaders that we don't agree with and that we shouldn't agree with in terms of some of the stances that they take on morals and some of the, the practical things. Is there a way that I can still respect them and respect their office? Is there a way that I cannot, you know, just result in attacking them as people because they happen to have uh, a stance on a moral issue that is incredibly important, and yet, at the same time, they hold this office. I need to respect them. I need to appreciate the good that is in them. I think our country would do well if we would seek to live in that level of obedience to say, I may not, dis- I may not agree with everything, and I may not even be able to follow this leader on everything because there are some clear differences, but I can still respect them, and I can still speak in a positive way about them. So I think even just just what I'm about to say to like myself before I would have joined religious life, it would have been like, okay, seriously, like that's a little much, you know, or like that's a little childish. But in our customs as a community, we went through them recently, and something that it says is, servants abide by traffic laws, including stop signs, signals and intersections, speed limits, and crosswalk signals. And ever since I've read that, I've been like very vigilant of, am I going the speed limit right now? And it, it, sound, it sounds stupid. It sounds like tedious. It sounds like almost scrupulous. But like if I actually don't even, like if I think I'm, I, it doesn't matter, it doesn't apply to me. Like it's, it's actually just not applicable to me. If there's not a cop around, like I'm not going to get caught. So it doesn't matter that we actually know that we're doing something wrong, but it's not that wrong, you know? And in college, if you look at my driving record, it's, it's just, it's horrible. It's just bad. So it's everybody in this room can attest to that. It's, I'm not ashamed. I am ashamed, but it's fine. But like, just, just looking at that, something that the archbishop said this past week, that's really been staying with me is at, at the ordination of one of the deacons. Um, and I told the community this after when we got, uh, when we all got to dinner, he said to all the men there of, if you're not ready for martyrdom, you have no business becoming ordained. If you're not ready for martyrdom, you're not ready for ordination. And I, I, I saw that and I was like, okay, if I can't abide a stupid speed limit, right? Like something that's so insignificant, how am I gonna be able to say something that's actually hard? You know, so those little like moments of obedience actually matter in the grand scheme of things. It's like actually noticing and being aware of how do I view those little moments of obedience that no one's gonna see? Do those actually matter in my life? Because for me in college, they didn't. And I wish they would have. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sharing about the Evangelical Council of Obedience. It's been it's been challenging to myself to hear because I'm going to drive the speed limit when I go home tonight. So come on, <laughs> come on. 
Well, thank you, fathers and brothers. And uh, as always, you can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus and hear podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks at scjesus.org. Thank you very much for being here today. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Edward. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed.